us as well. Thank you for, for being here. If you're a guest, we love that you are here with us. This song that Ava was just singing says, For Me to Live is Christ. Where does that come from? That's found in Scripture. Paul actually writes this, the Apostle Paul, and he says, For me to live is Christ. And I wonder if that's something that if you are a follower of Jesus, something that you can say about yourself. For me to live is Christ. You know, for a lot of believers, what we might say if we're being honest, is for me to live as me, right? A lot of us can kind of live in that manner, whether we're going through a hardship or a difficulty or whether it's just kind of us being fascinated and captivated by the things of the world. And uh, for me to live as Christ. And then Paul would go on and he would write this. He would say, for me to live as Christ, but to die is, what does he say, church? Do you know? To die is gain. What in the world is he getting at? What is he saying? Well, if you know the context of this, you know that when Paul wrote this, that, that Paul was, he, he was suffering. He was in a hard place in his life. He was wondering what was going to happen next to him. Let me ask a question today, and you can be just real here. There's something that we value as a church is transparency, being real, authentic. Is anybody here going through a hard time today? Would you just lift your hands up? Anybody just raise them up. It's okay. All right. And you can look around and see that you're not alone. This isn't heaven, right? We're in a place that we, as we live in this world, it can be difficult. So when Paul was saying, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, what Paul is doing is he is, he is anchored in something that is beyond what is happening in his life at this very moment. We understand that there's more to this life than right now, right? But so for many of us, it's hard for us to, to think of that because we get so consumed by the things that are going on within our lives. What is Paul actually anchored in? He's anchored in the fact of understanding that there is a place called heaven. And we're in this series called Afterlife. Paul would even write this, and we looked at it last week. He said in Colossians, he's saying to a group of believers, he's saying, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities, he says, of heaven. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, think about not just what's going on here in this world in which we live, but he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then he says this, verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you did for you died to this life, and look what he says to a believer. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What Paul is saying is for the believer, and I hope this encourages you today, for the believer, it only gets better from here, right? So if you're struggling right now, I'm not saying your problems are going to go away right now because that's, this isn't heaven. But you have an anchor that you can hold on to in knowing that this is temporal. And Peter would write about this. We'll read about it in a second. So we've been, we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about the afterlife in this series. And a lot of people have misunderstandings. And a lot of times, even in the church, we bought into misconceptions and myths. Maybe sometimes even created by Hollywood. Or, or we've kind of had this idea that all that there really is, maybe afterlife is... If, if, if we're uh, uh, believers, we're going to just float around on clouds and, and we're going to strum harps. And, and that does sound kind of boring to me. Does that sound boring to you? That sounds a little more like hell than it does heaven, if I'm being honest, okay? And sometimes we kind of think this way and we get this mentality that that's what heaven's going to be like. So for many believers, we don't really get excited when we think about heaven. We don't get excited because a lot of us have a misunderstanding of what it's about. Well, 
I hope in this series, uh, just as we take a little bit of a glimpse to at least whet your appetite for you to begin to dig in more and understanding how to set your sights on the realities of heaven. Now, as I was studying for this, uh, I, I came across a lot of different epitaphs that are on tombstones. I shared a couple last week that I love, okay? But I came across this one. This was on a gravestone. It's over 100 years old. And it's somewhere up in, uh, up in the northwest part of the country. And this was the epitaph on this tombstone. Here lies the body of an old man named Pease, buried neath the flower and trees. But Pease ain't here, just the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. Okay, I like that, all right? And there's a lot, of, a lot of truth in that. This body is a shell. We've talked about that last week. And when we die, the body goes back into the ground, into the dust of the earth to which we were created. And we learn that for the person who is in Christ, their spirit goes immediately into the presence of God, right? Well, one lady, she tried to tell this to her Sunday school class. And she got her words a little bit mixed up and it got her in trouble a little bit. She said, here lies the body of old man Pease buried neath the flower and tree. She got that part right. But Pease ain't here, just the shell. Pease shelled out and went to, all right, and she, she realized she had to stop at that point. Use your rhyming skills is what I'm saying, all right? And so she kind of messed that up, right? And, and, and here's the deal. I love how kids can be so direct as well, right? I love Pastor Dustin's in here today, and he knows this. And there was a Sunday school teacher that was talking to, she was quizzing her kids on the gospel and salvation and how a person gets to heaven. And she would say uh, to the kids, how do, how do I get to heaven? How, are we, how do we get to heaven? And, and the kids, she said to her kids, she said, do I get there by being a good person and going to church every week and reading my Bible every week? Is that how I get to heaven? And, uh, and, and the kids all yelled out. There's a bunch of kids in the class. They all yelled out, no, that's not the way, right? Well, do I get there by going on mission trips? And do I get there by, by giving all my money away or doing nice things? And those are good things, right? Is that how I get to heaven? And the kids were like, no, that's not how you get to heaven. She said, well, then how do I get to heaven? And there was a new boy that was there, sat in the back, probably didn't want to be there too much, but he sat in the back and he said, you got to get dead. That was his answer, all right? And there's a lot of truth in that because to get to heaven, you got to get dead, right? Just saying, you got to get dead. And we discussed this last week is this, is that, is that the reality is, is that because this world is broken, because of sin, these bodies are broken. We live in a broken world. This isn't heaven now. And the reality is, is that no matter how many medical advancements we make, no matter how well we take care of ourselves, and we should, right? But the truth is, is that death is still batting a thousand. The same it was 2,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago, 10,000, well, however much, you know, time has been in existence and humanity has been here, death's still batting a thousand. And, and, the, and the reality is that it's not something that we can escape. And so we have to give thought to the afterlife. God's desire, as we talked about this, and I shared this with you last week, is that there are three people every second globally that pass into eternity. About 11,000 every hour. About 250,000 today will pass into heaven, heaven or, or pass into eternity, either in heaven in the presence of God where they were created to be or separated from God. And we talked a little bit last week about something I don't like to talk about, but it's in God's word, so we talk about it. And they, they spend eternity separated from God. But I said last week, and the Bible is clear on this, you are not made for hell. You are made for heaven. 
God made you to be in relationship with you, not to, not to punish you. God wants you to walk with him in eternity and be with him all throughout eternity. So Paul says to believers, set your mind on things that are above. Think about the realities of heaven. He's not saying to disengage from this world in which we live right now. But the reality is, is when we understand what is beyond us and that we have to look forward to, here's the thing, a lot of us as believers, we dwell more upon worldly things or we can be so consumed with worldly pleasures that we try to create heaven here on earth and it pales in comparison. So we're never content and we're always looking for the next thing to maybe bring heaven on earth for us. Or as a believer, we can be so consumed with with worldly problems that we hold on so tightly to these things that are in this world, which are so temporal. If this is our mindset and we don't have this balance of being engaged in this world, but also understanding that there's something beyond this world, we can either be very self-indulgent and become very selfish in this world, or as a believer, here's what we can often be like. We can be anemic spiritually. We can be without joy. We walk around without peace. We often complain much in this world because we are overwhelmed by this world. But Paul said something different. He said, no, for me to live is Christ. And then he says, for me to die is gain. What he's saying is for me to live in Jesus is Jesus right now, even though I'm going through hardship. And as I go through hardship, here's what I hang on to. This isn't all that there is. This is a temporal place in which we live in a short period of time in the grand scheme of eternity. He says, for me to live is Jesus, which is the gain for other people to see something different in me. And he says, for me, and if this body should be killed or I die, which we will, and he did, he lost his life for the gospel. He says, that's just gain for me. It's gain for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Can you say that? So we learned last week, that our thoughts on heaven should be more than just an afterthought. It's something that we should give thought to as a believer and even as a person that maybe you're still seeking and you're still wanting to know more about what does this mean? There are some of us that will make more, spend more time planning a vacation, which is a short thing and we love those, than we'll actually make a plan for what is in the afterlife and where will we be? So I want you to know the reason we're talking about this is because God wants you to be prepared and he wants you with him in heaven. He's made you to be in fellowship with him. So here's something that we know about heaven. Heaven is prevalent in God's word. It's, we find it more than 500 times mentioned in the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and many of the prophets talked about it. John, the revelator, talked about it. Jesus, the son of God himself, talked about it. Paul does, Peter does, Moses. My point is, it is prevalent. It's mentioned in the Old Testament. The word is Shemai, and this word for heaven, it means literally the heights. In the, in the New Testament, it's the word Oranus, which means raised and lifted up. So it's a high and lifted up place that's set apart, and it's holy. And, and, and what we see is that Paul is saying, I have perspective now because I understand, I understand where my future really lies because of my faith in Christ. So heaven is prevalent. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. And I want to share with you something that Jesus shared with his disciples who were going through a hard time. 
Jesus had been walking with them for three years, and now it's the night that he's going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to be deserted by the disciples that would walk out on him, and he would be denied by Peter. So Jesus is in a very intense struggle at this very moment. He's about to go to the cross for our sins, and he's telling the disciples that he's going to die. And they are struggling with this. They are grief-stricken. They have left everything to follow Jesus, and they are very anxious about what is next. And so Jesus is going to give them some perspective, and it's going to speak to some of you today too, because maybe you're very anxious about what is next for you. Maybe as many of you raised your hands, you just feel overwhelmed by your circumstances right now, and, and, and you feel like you're just, you know, kind of going with the circumstances, and, and rather than being anchored in something that is stable, and these words can speak to you just as they did to his disciples, who they were struggling, they were confused, they were scared, they were anxious, and so I pray, and I've been praying for you all week, that this would encourage you if that's where you are today. By the way, those are all real human feelings, and you don't need to feel guilty about that, but here is the deal. As a believer, you have a choice on how you are going to go through the difficulties that are in this world. And here's what he says. You can't control the things that are in this world. All you can do is control your response as you go through this. Jesus writes, or actually Jesus says this. John records it. He says this. Don't, and let him speak to you. Don't let your hearts be, what's the word? Everybody say it with me. Be troubled. And that may be a great description of you today. He says, don't make the choice to live in this. In, I know you're in hardship, but you have a choice. So don't let your, your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. What he's saying is what you're going through right now, I want you to not pretend like it's not there, but I want you to understand you have an opportunity to either move forward in fear or to say, I'm going to have faith. I'm going to trust in Jesus right now. It's a choice. There is more. Then he begins to give them some perspective. There is more than enough room, he says, in my father's home. My father's house has many rooms is the way that translates. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, Jesus says, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And then he says, and you know the way to where I am going. What is Jesus doing here? He's, he's, he started talking in, about this in the middle of their hardship, and he's anchoring his disciples knowing that they're going to all be tested soon. They're all going to go through hardship. In fact, they would all lose their lives physically for the gospel, even though they ran away initially. Why, did they, why were they anchored? It was because of the resurrection of Christ. And they saw that it was real and that he defeated sin. He defeated death. So now they're anchored in this. Here's what thinking on the things of heaven does for us. Here's what a study like this does. Are you ready? Write this down. Secondly, heaven is what gives the believer hope and perspective. It gives us a, a perspective in this life in which we currently live. Paul was anchored in this. Jesus was anchored in this. And he was trying to anchor his disciples who were about to go through hardship themselves. What he would love is for you as a believer to be anchored as well. You see, as you are anchored in that, it doesn't mean the problems go away. It just means you are different in the storm. You're different in the, in the, in the, the situation. You're anchored in Christ. And so 
others who see the hardship that's going on in your life, they see something different about you. But for many of us, if our mantra is more for me to live is me, then that's all they're seeing. They're not seeing Christ in you. They're seeing the brokenness in you that is not being redeemed by God. They're seeing that brokenness there and they're not, they're seeing weakness. And I know what Danny said about this weakness, but the weakness is where we are made strong. And who is made strong in us? God is showing, bringing that strength in the midst of this weakness. That's exactly what, what Danny was saying. That's what Paul is saying here. Heaven is what gives a believer hope and perspective. Peter would later write this. The one who ran away afraid and denied Jesus would write this. We're going to study the book of First Peter in a few weeks. We're going to go through that book. He says, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what changed Peter's whole perspective. Now we live with great expectation. Do you know what that translates? Living hope. We live right now with hope. We have a perspective as a believer. And this is found in this. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, and not fear, your faith right now, God is doing something in you now. He's protecting you by his power until you receive that salvation that's been promised to you one day, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Now listen to what he says to do, okay? Because you have an anchor in what is next, he says, so be, Christian, truly glad. Do you know what that means? Rejoice right now in spite of your circumstances. That you choose to rejoice and say, for me to live is Christ. And you know what? If I die, well, that's just gain. It's just gain. This is temporal. So I'm going to choose to rejoice right now in knowing that God is in control of my life right now. And God is in control of my life eternal because I place my faith in him. He says, be truly glad. Make a choice. There is wonderful joy ahead of you. But look at this, even though, I want you to read it with me. Let's all say it. Let's participate together. Say it with me out loud. Even though you must endure. Say it with me, church. What? Many trials for when? A little while. It's a little while. Now, I know it's hard. But what he's saying is he's giving you perspective, but it's a little while. Compared to what you're going to experience for eternity, it's a little while. Have you heard the perspective that Peter had that Paul had that Jesus is giving the disciples and what I'm trying to tell you today is that he wants you to have that same perspective believer even though it's 2,000 years later the world is still broken this isn't heaven now but you can be anchored in him today and you can have a different mentality in this hardship I want you to I want you to think about this if you are in Christ heaven is ahead of you right and when life gets hard it is so easy to forget the faithfulness of God in our past. Wouldn't you agree? And we get fixed upon the problem and we miss what God is doing in anchoring us now and what he has out ahead of us. Thoughts on heaven give us hope and they give us perspective. I want you to listen to this song and I want you to worship in this song and I want you to gain perspective in this song today.
God who's made that possible, amen? You see, when a believer, when a believer dies, the body goes into the ground. We talked about it last week. Our spirit goes to be immediately in the presence of the Lord, right? And do you know this? And I say this at every funeral that I do for those who are in Jesus Christ, that that person is more alive at that moment than we even are right now. Do we realize that, amen? Hope and I were driving one day and that song came on and I told her, I said, and this may sound really morbid, but you need to know I'm kind of sick sometimes, all right? But I said this, I said, I want that song to be in my funeral. And you say, boy, that does sound morbid, but it's not because the thing is, is I want people to know that who are there, that it's a celebration, not just of my life, but a celebration of the life of Christ and what he has done in me to make that possible. Amen. I want everything to point to Jesus in my funeral when that happens someday. I'm not looking to be taken out yet, but I'm just saying that I'm ready for that. And I want you to be, and God wants you to be. I loved as we were listening to Danny sing that, just looking out over you and seeing the, the responses of many of you. And I know that it brings peace when you start thinking about heaven. It brings a joy. And I can see that on your faces. And, it, and, and that's what Paul says. I want you to think about the realities of what is out ahead of you. And to not just be so consumed in what's happening right now. So heaven is prevalent. We find this. It gives us hope and perspective, right? And here's thirdly, heaven is an actual prepared place by Jesus himself. The same one who created the universe as a whole. Jesus is a creator. He, he was fully God and fully man when he decided to put on skin and come and die for us. You need to know that that person was also the God of the universe that created everything. He made everything. And when we begin to even think about the universe and all that that entails, this summer our family went to the Grand Canyon. It was my first time to see that. And, and just this picture in and of itself can't do justice to what my eyes saw. And it's called the Grand Canyon because it's big, right? It's big and, and it's beautiful and it's glorious. And I couldn't help but think of my creator, the one who made this. And that's just a small part of this world, right? And this world is in this, a small part of this universe. And it's just incredible to think about this, that the word that Jesus uses, I go to prepare a place, is this word topos. It's where we get topography. It's, it's a literal place. I don't want you to think it's just this figment of our imagination or, or just a kind of idea that we have. Boy, this coffee is heavenly. We say things like that, right? Uh, this idea. But it's a literal place that Jesus himself, the one who created everything, has, has prepared for those who are found in Christ. And, and you need to know that there are three heavens that Scripture speaks of. The first heaven is what we what we see is the what envelops the earth. It's atmospheric. The second heaven is what we see. It's called the stellar heavens. It's what we see when we look up and we see stars and planets and the moon and the sun. Right? We see these things. This is the second heaven. And and I just was thinking this week. Uh, of how big not only our galaxy is when you just look up and you see the stars, right? And you, and you see all that is in just our galaxy. This picture here was taken by the Hubble uh, that circulates around the earth. And, and this isn't, we, we hear about billions of stars, right? Well, this is billions of galaxies with billions upon billions 
of stars. And our God who made all of that has prepared a place for you. Do you think it's going to be stunning? And what he has made for you and for me, for those who are found in Christ, the third heaven is something beyond even that glory that we can see with our own eyes. And, and this is the place where the throne room of heaven is. It's vast. It's beyond what our brain can even truly comprehend. This is what is called the heaven of heavens. It's where God chooses to reside, this big God who made everything, and he wants you to be there with him. Now, now it, it says heaven is his home. That, now, we know that God is omnipresent and that he's everywhere, and he doesn't just stay there. He's able to be everywhere. His home does not confine him. My home, just as I have a home, I can go out of my home when I choose to, okay? It doesn't confine me. It's just a place that is my dwelling place, the heaven of heavens. Paul writes about how he was caught up in this third heaven. He says in 2 Corinthians, I was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, he says, I don't know, only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. So this was a big deal that was going on, but I do know this, and I was caught up. I was caught up to paradise, and I listened to what Paul says, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot even be expressed, he says, in words. Things no human is even allowed to tell. So there will be sights in heaven that we will see that will blow our our minds, right? And they will be perfect minds, but it will blow us away. There will be sounds in heaven too great for us to even understand. It's an actual prepared place promised by Jesus himself for those who place their faith in Christ. I was thinking this week and just trying to just get my brain a little bit around this and it's just impossible. But I was thinking about this to kind of help me put it in perspective. I was like, what? I was thinking, what's the furthest man-made object out in space? And in 1977, Voyager 1 was launched. And just check this out. This is how big heaven is because we have a big God and how vast it is. It took 35 years from 1977 to 2012 just for Voyager 1 to get to the end of our galaxy. Man, that's incredible. And to think that this, when a believer dies, the body goes into the earth, the spirit goes immediately into the presence of God, the third heaven. If it took that long just for Voyager 1 to get to the end, to go interstellar, think of how long, I mean, it, it would take on our time, but it says that our spirit is instantly in the presence of the Lord. Folks, that's fast, okay? For God to be able to do this. Heaven, yes, it's incredibly described as this in this, these cosmic ways that are mind-blowing. And also, I love this, that heaven is described as home. He says, in my Father's house. It's this home. It's not just any home. He said, I go to prepare a literal place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, or there's more than enough room for you. He wants you there. He uses imagery of this home that resonates with me. I remember whenever I went off to Howard Payne in Brownwood, some of you probably know where that's at, and I went off down there to college, and I remember I'd never really been away from home like that. I've been on some trips and stuff, but never away from my family like that, and I was living in a dorm with a bunch of smelly football players, and, and I loved hanging out with them and being with them, but there was something that just, I was homesick. And so I could jump in the car on a weekend and I could drive back to Fort Worth and be at, my, at Fort Worth in a t about two and a half hours and 
remember feeling this homesick feeling and, and I, would, I would drive up and I would see familiar sights. I would walk in the house and I knew when dinner time was, okay? And I would smell familiar smells. My mom would be cooking something. And I loved that. And, and I would have laundry for her to do, okay? Don't bring your laundry for Jesus to do. That's not what I'm saying. But I would, I would walk in and there would just be this, this homesickness that I had that would just dissipate. And it's because I was in a place that I belonged. I was in a place where it was familiar to me. Right? And, and it was a place where I was welcomed. And I love the familiarity of home. But honestly, do you know what it was that made it home? And this was a blessing that I have in my life. It was the people that I missed the most. It was those who were there, right? And, and I love being back in my mom and dad's presence. And for most people, home is what makes us feel safe. Your home, you want it to be a safe place. You want it to be a place where you feel welcome and secured and comfort and relaxed and at peace. Home is great in and of itself, but home is because it is home, not just because of the building. Home is home because of who is there. And I want you to think about this. Heaven holds all that is precious to us as a believer. What does heaven hold? Well, just if we begin to think about what heaven holds first, this is what heaven holds for us. Heaven holds our redeemer. If you're a believer, it, it holds our redeemer and our redeemer is Jesus Christ himself. I'm gonna read you a lot of scripture and I'm gonna let scripture preach to you, but I really want you to listen to this. It says in Hebrews, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the one true place in heaven there. What he's talking about is Christ didn't just enter into this. He entered into heaven as your intercessor, as your redeemer. He's not, he didn't just enter into the holy of holies, which was a man-made tabernacle is what is being said here. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God. Now listen, on your behalf. Why did he need to appear on our behalf? Because we're sinners separated from God. And we needed someone to pay the penalty for our sins so we could enter into the Holy of Holies. He entered into heaven on our behalf. He did not enter heaven to offer himself, though, look, again and again, like the high priest here on earth. This is what would happen amongst the Jews. They would sacrifice an animal over and over and over again. They kept doing this, right, to try to make amends here. And, and what is being said is that Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. He was the Lamb of God who, who died one time, and he said, it is finished. And for those who will put their faith in him, he says, I have made you righteous now to where you can enter into heaven and the, in the heavenlies and be in the relationship with God you were created for. Verse 26, he says this. He didn't do this over and over again as, as, as they did with the blood of an animal. He said in verse 26, if that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Christ is called the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, when Jesus was walking up, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the book of Revelation, I want to read some to you in just a second. It talks about Jesus being the Lamb of God. What is he talking about there? He's your Redeemer. To redeem means to purchase one back, to, to purchase one out of our sins because we are locked in bondage in this life, separated from God because of our sin. And he says in verse 27, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, 
So also Christ was once offered once for all time as a lamb, a sacrifice to take away the sins of who? Many people. That's us. That's what he did for us so that you can be with him in heaven forever. That is the gospel. That's what he has done. That's the good news that he's done for you and me. And yes, I know when we get to heaven, scripture says we'll see streets of gold. We'll see the 12 pearly gates that, that, that scripture uses to describe this place and put it in the best words that we can fathom, right? But here's what I think is that heaven is more about the person who is there. And it's our redeemer. And yes, it's going to be magnificent. And it's a literal place. And he has made it beyond what we can fathom with our brains. But we are going to see Jesus himself. We're going to look upon the one who redeemed us. We're going to see the scars that are on his hands where he redeemed us. We'll see the, the, the body that he was in. Scripture tells us that they saw the scar prints. They saw the wounds. We will celebrate what he has done for us and be reminded throughout eternity, not just that we have been redeemed, but the price of our redemption. As we contemplate what he has done for us and perhaps throughout eternity, we will, we will just contemplate these scars of, of our redemption and we're going to do other things in heaven. Trust me, the, the scripture speaks of that. We'll talk more on that next week. We'll have different bodies, right? One author said this, though. He said, if I could be in heaven and peek through a keyhole for one second every thousand years and see Jesus, it would be worth going. But listen, it's going to be far better than that because you're going to be in perfect fellowship with the one who made you. Walking in perfect fellowship and how he's going to do that with all that he has created, I don't know. It's beyond my mind to comprehend, but he's God and I'm not. And you're going to be in, in perfect fellowship. I want to read you this passage about our Redeemer, Revelation 4. And I want you just to begin to try to catch a little bit of the glimpse of heaven that John the Revelator gives us. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. This is God the Father. The one sitting on the throne was brilliant as gemstones like Jasper and Carnelian and the glow of an emerald circle circled his throne like a rainbow. Then 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them and they were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads and from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. Many, many believe this, this is a representation of both Old Testament saints and New Testament saints together, that this is us, this is the church, those 24 elders, a representation of those who are in Jesus Christ. The circle of these elders is a representation of the closeness and the proximity of fellowship that we have with our creator. This is what is being represented in this great language that, that's apocalyptic language that John writes this in. All right, and it says this, that these angels and these beings, and John tries to describe them, and, it, and it's very bizarre as you read some of this, I realize this, but they are flying around and they are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and this is going on in this great throne room, 24 elders, that's all of us, right, a representation of us, fall on our faces in worship before, before the one who has redeemed us. 
lay our crowns before him. Chapter 5 of Revelation says this. Listen to how he begins to get descriptive of this. Then I saw a scroll. The scroll was what was known as, as a proclamation of judgment. And he said, I saw it in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. And there was writing on the inside and on the outside of the scroll. And it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And then I began, John says, to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open this scroll and to read this. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. He says, Stop weeping. Why does he say this? Look! The lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Jesus, folks. The heir to David's throne. He has won the victory. He's worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I want you to see this lion is also called the lamb. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings. And among the 24 elders... He had seven horns. You say, what does that even mean? This is a representation of perfect authority and perfect power. Where there's horns are used, that's what that means. And he had seven eyes. What This number seven is a perfect number, right? And this is a representation, these seven eyes of, of, of perfect wisdom and being all understanding and all knowing. And he says, that which represents the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. Verse 7, he stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. We're going to sing this song in a minute. You are worthy to take the scroll. And break its seals and open it, for you are slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them, that's us, to become a kingdom of priests for our God. He said, you've, you've done this for us and they will reign on the earth. We might look a little bit more into that next week. And then I looked again and I heard the voices of a thousand and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Our redeemer is held in heaven. Here's another thing. And I know you want to hear this. It's true. Not only is our redeemer held in heaven, our relationships, those that are precious are held in heaven. Those who have gone on before us and who will even come behind us that are in Jesus Christ who have died, they are in this place. And you say, will we recognize each other? I believe scripture indicates that we will and that we'll have perfect fellowship. And we'll be in this place where there'll be no more fear in our relationships. No more rejection from those around us or hurt or abuse or insecurities. You won't have that anymore. Or jealousy. We will know each other as God knows us. Which is an incredible thing. Just without all the imperfections. Praise God for that. Amen, right? Without all the imperfections. Listen to this. Some of you really need to hear this. We won't even get on each other's nerves in heaven. Praise God. Because you're going to be the perfect creation that God made you to be in the first place. 
Right now, we just have a lot of flaws. And we do get on each other's nerves. Notice I'm looking down. I'm not looking, I'm not making eye contact. But we do. You say, well, what will we look like? We'll talk more about that next week. I don't know exactly, but Scripture tells us we'll have a resurrected body, a glorified body like the body of Jesus Christ. And, and what will we look like? I hope a lot better than right now. Wouldn't you agree, right? There will be no more treadmills in heaven. Praise God. Are we going to eat in heaven? You wonder. The scripture speaks of there being a feast and you won't even have to count carbs. Praise God. Right? We, and we will, we're going to have these glorified bodies like the one that Jesus had. And feasting in perfect fellowship with our Redeemer, in perfect fellowship with as we are reunited with our loved ones who are in Christ. And this is incredible. There was a, a poll that went out that said, who would you like to see first in heaven? And it was in, I think, like Ladies Home Journal or something like that. 31% said mother, 16% said father, only 10% said spouse. I thought that was interesting, okay? Now, let's take a poll by show of hands right now. Who would you, no, I'm kidding. All right, don't do that, all right? You may hasten your, your exit into heaven there. All right, let me conclude with this today, all right? Because there's so much more to be said. Heaven holds not only this, this incredible uh, redeemer of ours in Jesus and our relationships. It holds rewards that maybe I can get into next week. It holds riches that scripture speaks of. Your inheritance as a son and daughter of God is found in this place. You own a, uh, because of your inheritance, a title deed to a place in heaven. It, it, our residence is there. Paul says our citizenship is found there. But heaven holds also, and you need to hear this, it holds our reservation. For those who are in Jesus Christ. Have you made your reservation? Say, how do I get my reservation made? Scripture tells us it's by your name being written in the Lamb's book of life. John writes in chapter 21 of Revelation, nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is what is so precious to us. Because of our faith in Christ and what Christ has done for you and for me, when we place our faith in Jesus, our name is written in that book and your reservation is held there. It's not because of what you do or how good you can be. It's because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said it himself in, as we conclude this scripture in John where he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says, and I'm there you with me and he says you know the way to where I'm going and Thomas says no we don't Lord we don't understand we have no idea where you're going so how can we know the way I want everybody to hear this he's going to tell you right now Jesus told them I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me and I know that's not politically correct in this culture in which we live. But these are the words of Jesus. And I would rather be biblically correct than politically correct in this environment today. And if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I hope you hear the heart of what Jesus is saying to you. Is that he loves you and he wants you with him all throughout eternity in heaven. But it comes through faith in Christ. And if you've never trusted Jesus, today is a day of salvation. Will you pray with me? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, right where you are seated, you can call upon him in faith and say, dear Jesus, you might just say this to him right now. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the lamb, the son of God.
that died for me in my place so that I could live with you throughout eternity. And I want to make my reservation in you, Jesus Christ, right now. Because of what you did, I place my faith in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Lord, I know that my brain can't even fathom all that heaven holds, but Lord, the fact that you are there and I will be able to walk with you in perfect fellowship, in perfect fellowship with those that are also in Jesus Christ, I thank you that you've made that possible. Some of you who are believers, many of you are believers, you've already placed your faith in Christ, but you've been so overwhelmed by the world right now. Take just perspective in knowing that this is just for a little while and that heaven is out ahead of you. We worship him because of that. I want us just to sing this song of the redeemed. Will you stand with me as we sing this final song today? It's an act of worship.